Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Well, let me say, first of all, that you are missed. We miss you. I know this social distancing has gotten a little old, but uh, it's required and needed. But I look forward to the day that we can be together once again, preferably it's the very near future. I've been encouraged by some of the comments I've heard on the news and that the numbers are not projected to be as bad as they had originally thought. So maybe we'll get back together here very soon. But until then, we're thankful that the Lord has given us this technology where we can still virtually meet together and celebrate the Lord together. I know tonight is Monday Thursday. It's the night we usually uh, wash each other's feet, serve one another in Christ, share one another with one another in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we're not able to do that tonight, but maybe possibly uh, we can postpone that and do that another night. But one thing we do keep in mind on Monday Thursday, several uh, events in the life of Christ are commemorated. One is the institution of the Lord's Supper. This is the very first Holy Eucharist. 2,000 years ago. Another is the uh, events in the Passion Week and the life of Christ and the events that lead to his death and resurrection. And then also uh, the, um, the betrayal of Judas is celebrated here on this night. And we'll look at that in just a few minutes. Uh, why would he do such a thing? And why does the church even focus uh, on that event? And what were his motives and uh, the tragedy of that betrayal? So we have other things that we can celebrate tonight in the life of Christ. So I wanted to look at four crucial questions, four crucial questions that are asked by three different people in Matthew 26 and 27. So the first crucial question we're going to look at is Matthew 26, and we're going to be at 14 to 16. And as I mentioned uh Judas is a main character. uh, Yesterday, I mentioned Spy Wednesday. That's called Spy Wednesday because Judas was a spy for the enemy uh, during the Last Supper, giving them information, giving Jewish leaders who wanted to kill Jesus information. And so Wednesday starts that process. It starts that conspiracy. So that's why Wednesday was called Spy Wednesday. But then we also look at those events tonight because Jesus is at the Lord's Supper. And he says in verse, uh, this is Matthew 26, 14, that one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out him 30 silver coins. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now, there's been a lot of speculation throughout church history about why would um, uh, Judas behave this way? What would motivate him to act this way? What I think is interesting is in John's gospel, when Jesus mentions someone's going to betray me tonight, the disciples all say, is it I? They didn't say, is it him? They said, is it I? Because they knew within their own hearts, the potential was there for them to also be betrayers. And so when we ask this question about Judas, we're asking it of ourselves. Why would he betray Jesus? And why might, in my own fallenness, I might betray Jesus? And what we look at is that Jesus was not being the kind of king that Judas expected. Jesus was not coming into the Jerusalem to take over. 
He was not bringing in the troops, so to speak, taking over the government, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, as was thought by many. And it was a disappointment to Judas. His last name is really a description, Iscariot. It means Scagario. It means knife man. So he was part of the rebellion, and he wanted to see the overthrow of Rome. And one of the things that Judas did in his own heart was that he expected Jesus to behave a certain way. And when he didn't, he wanted, and he didn't, Jesus didn't end up being the person he expected him to be or wanted him to be. He tried to force his hand. In other words, when he couldn't mold Jesus into his own image, he turned on Jesus. And this is the issue we have to look at in our own hearts. When everything's going good and it seems like Jesus is blessing and everything's going right and we're all for him. But all of a sudden there's turns in our lives, disappointments, trials and tribulations and things aren't going right. Then we get mad at him. Then we begin to walk in self-pity. Then we begin to get angry. Then we begin to doubt God's goodness. And then we begin, in a sense, to betray him because he's not acting like what we expected. Shaped him in our own age, and then he's not acting the way we wanted him to. So what happens is it's demonic. Both It's interesting, both John and Luke mentioned that Satan entered Judas and used him to manipulate him to try to bring about the death of Jesus. We know that God was in control. We know this was God's plan all along. We know that this is what Jesus intended, but we know that Satan was trying to use their circumstances to bring about the end of Jesus. So what do we ask our hearts? We need to be careful that there's times in our lives we'll be tempted to set aside our Christian convictions, to advance our careers, our reputations, our relationships, and bend our convictions to suit our needs. We'll just say, oh, today I just want to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Oh, today I know the scripture says I shouldn't be in a relationship with a non-Christian. I shouldn't be dating a non-Christian, but I go into anyway. When I bend my convictions to advance my career or my reputation or my relationships, I'm acting like Jesus because I want Jesus to behave and condone everything I want. And then Satan enters the issue, enters my heart, and deceives me. What's interesting is that when Jesus turns to Judas and John, he says, friend, do your deed. So it was worded in such a way that the disciples thought it was for him to go and get more food or, do, or minister to the poor, John tells us. But Jesus looked at Judas and called him friend, even though, even though he knew Judas was actually in the middle of the act of betraying him. And so Jesus calls us friend, even when we know we have failed him or in the midst of failing him. And he, we know that Satan is leading us to make a bad decision. Yet Jesus is reaching out to us with his love. Jesus is touching us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is calling us home. 
And we know from 2 Corinthians 5.15 that Jesus died to change our hearts. Christ died for all that we would no longer live for ourselves alone, but for him who died and rose again. So we know that through the cross of Christ, he has made the way for us to have a different heart, a changed heart. So we won't be betrayers, but we will be people of conviction, people who will love him, who will walk with him. And we do it not because we've gotten our act together and then we've proven ourselves and then God loves us. No, God loves us. He calls us friend. Through his love, our hearts are convicted. Then the Holy Spirit changes us, transforms us, and makes us new men and women for him. So we see that it's a heart issue and that Jesus is willing to be betrayed for us. So the first crucial question is, are you willing to give me, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? And you will say, I will not take anything because Jesus is too precious to me. I love him too much. I will not break biblical teaching. I will not betray Holy Spirit direction, I will walk with him no matter the cost. That's the first crucial question. The second question is Jesus asking the question. And it's in Matthew 26, 40, 26, 40. And this we find in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is in the midst of the garden praying, seeking the Lord, knowing that this incredible burden of carrying the world's sin upon his shoulders and uh, walking and experiencing the death on the cross and the separation from the Father, this burdened his soul so deeply. Verse 36, Then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and his two sons and Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Even the Son of God in his humanity desired not to be alone. He desired to have companions. He desired some people to walk with him through this burden, through this terrible, awesome trial. Satan's temptation, the, the sin of the world being placed on his soldier, shoulders, the separation from the Father because of the guilt and shame he was carrying. And yet, they're not there. Verse 39, go a little farther. He fell to his face to the ground and prayed, O Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not I will, but as you will. He submitted himself to the cup, the cup of God's wrath. Verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? That's the second crucial question. If the first question was about the devil. The second question is about my flesh. My flesh wanting to rule and dictate. The disciples fell asleep. They allowed their flesh to dictate to them how they felt about their relationship with Jesus. When Jesus most needed them, they were caving in to their tiredness. And how many times have we said the words, I don't want to, Jesus. I'm too tired. I'm too stressed, I'm too busy, I'm too overwhelmed. The disciples were too tired to pray with Jesus while he was in the midst of his greatest struggle with Satan and overwhelmed by the task of taking the sins of the world upon himself. It was his flesh, their flesh, giving in to their tiredness, giving to their weakness, 
giving into their feelings, giving into their wants and desires. It's the flesh. It's the sinful nature. Again, it's a heart issue. And what was Jesus' response? We know he went back and asked them again, and he ended up praying alone. He ended up submitting himself to the will of the Father. And he went back three times, and the third time they were still asleep. Reminds us that oftentimes we fail repeated ways. But we know from Galatians 5.24 that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. They've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We're thankful tonight that because Christ was willing to be alone and he died in our place, that we don't have to be alone, that Christ will indwell us by the power of the Holy Spirit and empower us to walk apart from our flesh where our flesh is crucified with him on the cross so I don't have to give in. So Christ was willing to bear our sins alone, and he's willing to deal with our flesh and set us free from that yearning, from those natural desires that want to take over. Now, our, our third question is 2711. Jesus is before Pilate at the trial, and Jesus is standing before the governor, Pontius Pilate, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate is worried. He's worried about what Rome thinks. He's worried about a rebellion. He's worried that it might get back to Caesar, that he's not in control. He's worried that they will not think highly of him. And he's also worried about the crowds. He's worried about the Jewish leaders. And he wants to be innocent in this matter and be thought of. He wants it both ways. He wants to be thought of innocent. He wants to be thought well by the Jews, and he wants to be thought well by the Romans. It's worldly thinking. If Judas was being tempted by Satan, and then the disciples failed in their flesh, Pilate is worried about worldliness and worldly thinking. Pilate worried that the man Christ Jesus standing before him was really the true king, not him. Pilate worried that Jesus was more qualified than him to be the king of the Jews. His Davidic line, his power and authority from the Holy Spirit, his life-changing abilities. He worried that Rome, what Rome would think. What about the unrest? What about the rebellion? So he rejected the king. It's the worldliness. It's the pressure. Again, it's a heart issue. And yet, what was Jesus, Jesus willing to do? Jesus was willing to suffer in our place and be called a criminal, even though he was king. Even though he rightfully deserved the throne and desirefully deserved to rule, even though he was creator and all the glory of God was uh, owed to him, he was willing to be called a criminal and to be stood next to a true criminal, Barabbas, and to be, hear the words of the crowd calling him, crucify and crucify him, and be utterly abandoned and rejected. He was willing to take that upon himself so that we would not have to suffer abandonment. We would not have to suffer rejection, but that he himself would love us to the end. He was willing to suffer 
in our place. First Corinthians 2.18 says, If the rulers had known, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, our fourth and last question is this one. It's asked by Jesus, and it's Matthew 27.46. Matthew 27.46, and it's a question you've heard many times. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The God-man is forsaken by God because of man's godlessness. We recognize our sinful cry in his sinless voice, and we know the answer to his forsakenness. It's for us and for our salvation. The wages of sin is death. Christ never sinned, so he substituted himself in our place, and he suffered the penalty of death for our sake, and all he asks us to do is to believe. Jesus was willing to suffer the separation from the Father as he bore the sins of the world upon himself. It's about sin. All these questions deal with our greatest enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These enemies of the soul. And yet we see Jesus at each step along his path to the cross. He's dealing with every single issue we, we battle with, we struggle with. The world, the flesh, sin, and the devil. He's taking care of each of our needs, each of our enemies, each of our problems. Jesus was willing to be forsaken for us. He was willing to suffer the abandonment of the Father in order that we would not be abandoned by the Father. First Peter 2.24, one of my favorite verses when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we've been healed. Well, was because of what Christ starts this night over the next three days, <clears throat> our greatest enemies of the soul are dealt with by the cross. Jesus is willing to be forsaken for us. Judas, the devil worked through him. He's in each one of us. We're selling our souls, sometimes for reputation, for our needs. Yet Jesus calls us friends and calls us to himself. The disciples in their flesh, they gave in to their fallenness and selfishness. And yet Jesus was willing to bear the sins alone. Pilate, gave into the world, and he worried about its reputation. Yet Jesus was willing to die as a criminal and take our place. And then last, it's us. It's our sin that causes us to be abandoned by him. I'm sorry, be abandoned by the Father so that we would not be abandoned by God. All these things Christ has done for us. So there's much to celebrate on Monday, Thursday. It's much to pray about. It's much to go to the Lord for. It's much to be grateful for. So the cross has dealt with all these enemies. There are five enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, sin, death, and the devil. We've dealt with four of them. Death is the last one that needs to be dealt with, and that's the one we'll celebrate on Easter Sunday, Christ's victory over death. We can celebrate tonight and know that Christ himself has defeated our enemies, the greatest enemies in our soul. And all that is required of us is to look to him in faith, to believe and know that these truths are real for us and that he is whom the Son sets free is truly being free indeed.
Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your victory on the cross and for these, these truths that you've set us free. Set us free, Lord, when the enemy attempts to tempt us. Set us free when our flesh pulls on us. Set us free, Lord, when the peer, our peer groups within the world wants to pressure us. Set us free when sin pulls on our hearts. Help us look to the cross. Help us look to you in faith. Help us to know that this victory has been accomplished for us. Help us to know we do not have to give in, but the Lord, we can feel and know the victory of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your victory on the cross that you accomplished over these days. In Jesus' blessed name, we thank you. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.